Welcome to the Season of Soul podcast. My name is Dora Vandekamp, and I am a spiritual ecotherapy coach and manifestation expert. Are you ready for infinite abundance, ultimate wellness, and pure bliss? I am, and I know many of you are too. We are truly in the season of the soul, being called on to evolve, expand, and awaken. I am so honored to be able to share with you incredible wisdom from some of the most revolutionary teachers, gurus, and coaches. Each show contains powerful knowledge about inner and outer transformation. And now, let's go to the show. Greetings, beautiful souls. Welcome to another incredible episode of Season of Soul. Today, my guest is Hildra Labrada Gore. She is an ancestral expert who has traveled to Kenya, Peru, Australia, Cuba, exploring indigenous practices for optimal well being. And we cover a lot of really cool topics, including the most powerful anti aging hacks, why and how to eat organ meats. And one of the biggest things that you can do to preserve and optimize your health and sanity during these interesting times we're living in. So I'm really honored to bring you this interview. Let's go to the show. Hi, Hilda. How are you? I'm great. Thank you so much for having me, Dora. Oh my gosh. Thank you so much for coming on the show. I've been so excited to have you on. I have so many things I want to ask you and talk to you about. How have you been? I heard you actually, I saw that you initiated a wedding this oh my gosh. week. It's so funny. I'm like holistic Hilda becomes reverend holistic Hilda. I mean, I it's just it. kind of crazy, but a friend of mine, two friends of mine were getting married and the person who was supposed to do it backed out. So I was pastor B, but I made the plan, you know, I got to be a part of it and it was really, really special. I mean, can you imagine officiating a wedding? I, I was imagine. very touched and really I'm so glad we're going to talk about a number of health issues, but love trumps everything. You know, I was just interviewing, I don't know if you've heard of Dr. Bruce Lipton the other day. Yeah. Um, he is the author of The Biology of Belief. And he just said, if only we could all live in that kind of honeymoon, life is wonderful state. And I think if we nourish ourselves well and do some of the things you and I are going to talk about, we can live in that state. I love that. I so agree with you. It's such a vital component of being happy and joyful and being in that vibration, our physical state, right? It's so important. It's such a big part of it. And you're a health coach. You're an Institute of Integrative Nutrition graduate, just like me. I love it. We're yes. both alumni. <laughs> um, and so you're an ancestral health expert. How did you get into ancestral health? Oh, such a good question. So First of all, let me just say, my mom is from Mexico. My dad is from Cuba. Mm -hmm. So they came to the US, they married and they stayed. Um, but when they did that, they left some of their traditions and customs. And so I think somewhere in my heart, I was like curious about my own heritage. And then I got um, involved with the Weston A. Price Foundation. They're this wonderful group all about kind of paleo, ancestral living and health ways. And then I started exploring them because I thought, okay, 
I don't just want head knowledge, I want heart knowledge. So I traveled to Peru and to Kenya and to Australia and I met with indigenous people and I learned so much from those experiences and I learned that there is wisdom that we can still tap to live well today and it doesn't come in a, you know, necessarily a kale green smoothie in the morning or a pricey workout program at your local gym. It really comes from following these ancestral ways. And so I'm, I'm just all about it. That's amazing. That's amazing. Was there ever like a catalyst that got you into health or have you always been a healthy person? Well, it actually starts before I was even born. I, um, somehow my mom got exposed to some sickness. I think it was uh, the German measles. And the doctors told her, your baby is going to be born with some serious birth defect. And when I was born, they didn't notice anything right away, but they listened to my heart. And I think within a month or two, they noticed there was a murmur. So basically the birth defect was a hole in my heart, about the size of a dime actually. And so as a kid, Dora, I had to like limit my activity. My parents were kind of always watching me, like, is she okay? Kind of thing. And I was very aware of how precious this life is basically. (laughs) And when I was nine years old, the doctors performed open heart surgery on me. Can you imagine? I was a nine-year-old kid. They came to my hospital room. I hope this isn't TMI, but the night before the operation, they're like, it's time for your enema. And I was like, what's that? And the nurse is like, no one told you. And I was like, no. And so now people wonder why I don't do coffee enemas. But anyway, (laughs) I'm sure I was scarred by that experience. But the truth is I'm thankful because I feel like medicine saved my life. The doctors saved my life. They said if they wouldn't have sewed up that hole, I wouldn't have been properly oxygenating my blood and I wouldn't have lived very long. So now I'm living this long life and I want to make the most of it. And so this is what got me into this health and wellness space. And I started out just with fitness stuff. I was like, just work out, you know, be a gym rat. It's all good. doesn't matter what you eat. And then I came to find out that actually it really does matter how we fuel our bodies. So I go by holistic Hilda in some, because I know there are a lot of ways to improve our health. It's not just exercise. It's not just food. There are lots of components, but I think it's nice if we can address as many of them as possible to live that kind of honeymoon style life. Absolutely. I love honeymoon style life. That's such a great way to put it. Yeah. Because you know, we are here, we're here for a short time, but we're here for a long time and we want to enjoy it. Right. And if your body's breaking down, it's hard to enjoy it. If you have chronic pain and all that stuff, it doesn't make it as much fun. That's true. My daughter was saying this uh, the other day to a family member. She was like, it's okay if you can endure and live a long life, but wouldn't you rather like enjoy it? Mm-hmm. So she was trying to kind of health coach them, I guess. Well, <laughs> you probably and got it like, from you. Yeah, she probably yeah. did. Yeah. And so ancestral health, which you, you kind of touched on already, where we're looking at kind of our ancestors' health and what they did. What is that all about? Oh my goodness. It's like where to begin. Do you mind if I just begin with the sun? Please. Yes. Let's talk about the sun. Oh my gosh. So this is a game changer. And I think if anybody's watching this right now or listening to this and thinking, oh my gosh, I've tried so many diets and I feel deprived and I work out and I still can't lose those 10 pounds or whatever I want to lose. Listen to this. The sun is the most amazing health hack ever. And it's ancestral. I know there's a reason why indigenous people often would worship the sun because it literally 
nourishes us, Dora. And I don't know how I miss this. I was so busy, I guess, working out under fluorescent lights <laughs> and trying to have a kind of clean diet that I missed the whole nature sunlight piece. But basically, everything that we eat originally got its light from the sun. So a friend of mine says we're light eaters, which is kind of a wild way to think about it. We're light eaters. So yes, get it through the vegetables that you eat, your hopefully organic produce and whatnot. Yes, get it from the meat that's sustainably raised and regenerative ag and all that. Okay, that's great. But what if you just got it firsthand too? Mm -hmm. So this is my new, the sun is my new jam. I have to say, I work hard to make sure I get more time outside than I used to. I used to be like the typical person and tell me if this is not most people's schedule. Mm -hmm. You get up, you get a little bit of sun going from your car, your house to your car, because then maybe you're going to the gym and then you're going to work and then you're going to the grocery store. But most of the time in this day and age, we're driving around or maybe taking some public transportation. But the idea is we don't get that much time outside. No. And our ancestors spent two thirds of their time outside and one third inside. And we've flipped that equation. Mm -hmm. So we're spending two thirds of our time inside and one third outside. And I think we're lucky if we get out one third. So this is really important. What we need to do is get more sun on our skin and in our eyes. Mm -hmm. um, and I'm saying the eyes bit because sometimes we wear sunglasses. You know, some people are like, oh, I don't wanna squint. The sun is so bright. Take a chance <laughs> and take those glasses off because it confuses your body. In other words, if the sun is on my skin, it's getting one message, it's midday, let's say. But if I have sunglasses on, my brain is sending the message, it's not midday, it's near sundown, let's say. So the body doesn't know what to do and it might not send up enough of the protective stuff that you need to avoid sunburn. So get outside without sunscreen, without sunglasses. I especially like to start my day in the sun because that helps set my circadian rhythm as well. I'm getting a message from the sun, it's time to wake up. And that kind of stimulates my hormonal function. When I lay down at night to go to sleep, my body is more aware of the fact that it's night and we can get into more of that in a minute, but try to get as much sun as early in the day as possible. And then the other thing I do is, I try to take my meals outside. So we have a little back patio. I live in the city, so I'm not out in the country or anything, but I get on my little back patio to have breakfast. You know, um, I'll sit on a little sustainable, what do they call those balls? You know, like a little yeah, yeah. balancing ball, just so I'm not sitting all day either, which is another thing. But anyway, so I eat my meals outside. I get outside first thing. If possible, I get the sunset, but that's a bonus because life is busy and full, right? But I definitely think a good place to start with kind of, Starting something fresh in your health routine is getting more sunlight. And the reason I said um, something about weight earlier is because I think it actually can rev your metabolism and boost your energy, improve your cognitive function, and improve your sleep. So the sun is amazing and it's free. So just get out there and get it. Absolutely. Oh my gosh. And there's so many things I want to touch on when, with what you just said. One of the things that people don't realize is that what you said, like the sun is shining on our skin and we're getting a message on our skin. So really our skin, it has receptors that tell our body what's going on. And we don't realize that. We just think that maybe our brain knows that the sun is there. No, our whole body is giving us messages that the sun is out and that it's shining and that it's, it's literally feeding us. It's like food. So yep. Yeah. It's so fascinating. And then you're right with the sunglasses too, because that's one thing we can also talk about a little more, but 
with at nighttime, people are around lights and artificial light. And so they're getting this message that it's light. And that's also receptors on the skin, right? And receptors. Yes. So I have a little story to tell you, and this has probably happened to a lot of the folks watching or listening is um, I used to get on my computer once my kids are in bed and I was like, okay, I've got a little bit more work to do. Right. And then it would be like midnight and then 1am and 2am. And I was like, I am superwoman. I am amazing. Yes. I got a second win, but I'm so rolling with this. This is awesome. I was just thinking maybe I'm one of those people that doesn't need as much sleep as everyone else. I couldn't have been more wrong. <laughs> what I did not know is what you just said, Dora, is that the light from the screens is stimulating my pineal gland and confusing my body about what time of day it is. It's not just coming into my eyes. As you said, it's going to my face and my neck. And so I'm getting all these messages. And of course, it's waking me up. So it wasn't that I was just amazing and rolling through with the punches, you know, it's that the light was stimulating me in a way that we shouldn't have happening. So I suggest at night, and this is really challenging for those of us who love our cell phones and want to just see one more thing on social media or, you know, text a friend or what have you, is try to kind of let your body wind down at the end of the day. When the sun goes down, do your best to not get on the computer and avoid your phone. There are actually little hacks that um, you can do to even change the tint on your phone and on your computer screen so that that can be helpful if you need to get on for some reason. I think it's F.Lux is one of the programs mm -hmm. you can use. There's another one called Iris, like the I, I-R-I-S, on the computer. And then there's just some hacks if you go into your settings of your iPhone, you can switch it up so you can get different shades according to the time of day and whatnot. So anyway, but you're right. We need to avoid the blue light as much as we need to embrace the natural sunlight. Yes, absolutely. And it is so incredible how much it does affect your hormones because what you said about weight loss as well, there's a lot of people who are like, I'm doing everything. I'm exercising. I'm eating nothing, which is not the key to weight loss, but <laughs> they have, you know, such frustrations with not being able to lose weight and being anxious, having anxiety. And these are so tied to artificial light, which is something we don't talk about very much. I know. And I think if only they knew that their habit of watching, you know, a bunch of Netflix shows at the end of the day is sabotaging all of their, you know, good dietary and exercise habits. I wish people knew. I read this tremendous book by T.S. Wiley called Lights Out. And it is fascinating talking about the influence of light on our health. And there's also one called Health and Light by John Ott that I would really recommend. This was a guy who was a photographer back in the day, and he hadn't really thought much about light except for perfect lighting for a photo, you know? And then I forget if he had joint pain. There were a number of anecdotal stories in the, in the book, but one was that he was struggling with some joint pain, I'm pretty sure. And what he did was um, his sunglasses broke when he was on vacation. Mm -hmm. And he realized the more sun he got, the less his joints hurt. And so it was just this kind of paradigm shift for him to realize, oh my gosh, the power of light. And then he started doing all these studies with plants and animals and the little minks that were under the blue light, you know, didn't have as many boy mink says that. Anyway, I don't need to get into all of it. But the point is light affects all of us. And I really think it's a really important factor for folks to look into. Yes, absolutely. And so, and you touched on sleep a little bit and the, the quality of our sleep. So can you talk a little bit more about how can we get quality sleep and why is it like a thing? Why should we worry about our sleep quality? 
Oh my gosh. Well, I think this is also tied into weight mm -hmm. and overall health. In other words, you might just be like, oh, I don't care about sleep, but I do want to lose 10 pounds. Well then listen up <laughs> <laughs> because sleep is going to be your new best friend. If you do, as I suggested, and you get that morning sunlight, it will help you sleep better at night because melatonin is the hormone that regulates your sleep. And so what you need is more of that. Um, and so the production of it and the release of it corresponds with your, the light that you're getting. So in other words, yes, get less artificial blue light at night and get in bed as early as you can so that you can get eight hours of sleep because it's the time that your body takes out the trash. It's the time that your body relaxes and decompresses. It's a restorative bit. So if you're a person that likes to work out, you know, everyone has their like rest days in their workout, because if you work out, you know, seven days a week and just as hard each day, then you're going to break something probably or injure yourself and then be set back. Right. It's the same with sleep. You guys, it is the one area I used to always shortchange myself on. And now I find it is so restorative and so helpful because it does, it takes out the cellular trash. It lets um, your brain function better. It just helps you on a myriad number of levels. So how do you get better sleep? Well, one is I've discovered something really interesting as I started using this little aura ring. I don't know if you've you know, oh, heard yeah. about it. It's on my list of things I want. I really like it because it helps me see how much light sleep I get, how much REM sleep I get, and how much deep sleep I get. Mm -hmm. And so I can tell, like literally the other night, I was like, okay, forget it. I'm not going to wear my blue blocking glasses. And the next day, it's like, mm, you only had an 80 sleep score because you must have done something that kept you awake. Maybe you worked out too hard. And I was like, no, it wasn't that. It was that I didn't wear the glasses. So I can put little tags on my days so I can know what I did or what I didn't do to see how it corresponds. Another thing you want to do to make your sleep better is um, not only blocking blue light at night, but avoiding eating too late. You know, we used to say, Oh, if you eat too late, the problem is it goes to fat because you didn't get a chance to burn it off. Well, maybe, but maybe also melatonin regulates digestion and sleep, and apparently it can't do both at once. So you're either going to have great sleep or your body's going to be working to digest that food. Right. So that's why it's disruptive to your sleep. So I avoid eating um, two or three hours before bed if I can help it. I try to actually stop eating when the sun goes down. Yeah. Um, Another thing that's helpful since we were talking about tech earlier is um, try not to have any devices even in your bedroom. I know some people use their phone for an alarm. I understand that. But if you have a bedroom right next bedroom, a bathroom right next to your bedroom, put your phone there. You will still hear it ring. And it's just the more distance between you and your devices, the more your body can actually relax. Because just imagine if your phone is in your bedroom and it's not on airplane mode, you might hear it ping with a text from a friend. I mean, it might just be even something silly from Verizon saying, thank you for paying your bill, you know, but here you are kind of on alert because you got a message, you know, think about our kind of Pavlovian response to that. Sometimes you tense up, sometimes you get excited. You think, Oh, is it my sister calling? You know, you get excited, but either way it's provoking a response in you and you want to have your bedroom be kind of a sanctuary, mm -hmm. a place where your body can really rest. And this is important, Dora, and then I'll take a breath after this, <laughs> because our lives are constantly fight or flight mode now. Back in our ancestors' time, they might've had a saber-toothed tiger chasing them, and then <laughs> 10 minutes later, they're resting by the fire and they're like, okay, it's all good. 
we constantly feel like we have that saber-toothed tiger. Why? Because we're constantly accessible by our bosses. Hey, here's another project. We're answering emails late at night, you know, and we're seeing the news late at night. And, you know, it's just very, it's a very stressful time. So we need to give ourselves a space and place to relax. And working out is great. That's when you're like fighting, right? You're, you're prepping to fight that saber-toothed tiger, but you need a time when you can just relax. Mm -hmm. And your body does that very well when you're sleeping. As a matter of fact, scientists can't quite get a handle on how it all works. You know, I was just reading about this in another book about health and it was saying, um, you know, they, they try to study like how do we have activity in our dreams, but our limbs aren't moving. We think we're running, but we're not like, how is that working? They can't figure it out, but they know that it does us good. So it's an important pillar, I would say of good health is to make sure you get restorative sleep. And the last thing I'll tell you about the ring that I was about to say is I thought, okay, if I went to bed, let's say, at 10 or 11, and I got up at six or seven, I got eight hours sleep. No, to my surprise, I've learned, you sometimes need to be in bed longer to get that amount of sleep. So for me to get eight hours sleep, I need to be in bed nine hours, which sounds crazy, but I try to make the commitment. Why? Because I know it's important, but number two, what I've realized is we have periods of wakefulness during the night, whether you have to go to the bathroom or you know, a thought suddenly wakes you up, it could be a bad dream, anything. You would be surprised. And also I think another factor that keeps us awake at night sometimes is just um, non-native electromagnetic frequencies. So if my phone is not on airplane mode or if my Wi-Fi is still on, that's gonna be kind of giving me a charge that isn't letting me get into that deep sleep. So we need to be aware of the light we're exposed to after dark, um, avoiding eating too late, making our room a sanctuary, and then we'll feel the benefits of that profound restorative sleep. That's what we want. Yeah, that's amazing. Those are such good tips for quality sleep because it really is, I think the number one biohack besides the sun is good sleep. We need sleep. We need to regenerate. We, we deal with way more than our ancestors ever did psychologically, physically. There's so There's much so going right. on. And the last thing I was going to say about sleep too, a little side Benny is there is a thing about beauty sleep, which is funny. Yeah. Like you might not always notice it, but you know how some mornings you wake up and you're like, oh my gosh, I look ratchet. What happened? You know, <laughs> you probably just didn't get enough sleep. And so you really can glow from the inside out when your body is sufficiently restored with that sleep. Absolutely. I think those are such great tips. Another thing I know is a powerful component of quality sleep and other things is diet. Mm -hmm. And, um, and so you are really a proponent of, so ancestral health really incorporates things like organ meats, things like bone broth, butter, eggs, lard. These are all things that you're a big proponent of. And it's definitely a great thing for us to talk about because we live in an age where we have a lot of vegan diets and uh, a lot of, um, kind of talk about how organ meats and, and any kind of animal products are unhealthy. So I think it'd be great to kind of touch on why these are actually really good for us and how we can incorporate these into our lives in a positive way. Right. Um, you know, it's interesting. You're right. Meat has been kind of vilified. I think the World Health Organization a couple of years back said it's probably carcinogenic and people are concerned about climate change. I understand um, where these messages have come from um, because certainly animals and concentrated animal feeding operations are 
are suffering and the meat from those animals um, is stressed meat <laughs> because you know they're all stuffed together it's so unhappy their um, manure isn't properly dis properly disposed of like it's definitely a drain on our climate and not good for our health so if you're just thinking about it from those terms I can see why you'd want to like set that aside but um, I have two things to say animals that are not in concentrated animal feeding operations that are allowed to live in their kind of full essence, you know, kind of cattle roaming on the green grass and, and chickens looking for insects, like those animals are living their best lives. And though they may have one bad day, um, you know, when we do slaughter or process them, they will be a benefit to our bodies as we take in what they have to offer. And they've also helped regenerate the soil. You know, um, Animals that are doing all the things I just mentioned, like the cows on the field and the chickens coming after them, when, it, when they pee and poop, basically, they are fertilizing the soil and they actually help sequester carbon, the very thing that people are so concerned about. They're concerned that, you know, we're losing things and the greenhouse gases are just kind of making our world sicker and sicker. I get that, but animals raised in a regenerative farm or a sustainable way are actually good for us. So we shouldn't be afraid of hurting the planet by eating meat. And common sense also tells me that animals are good for us because that's what our ancestors had to eat. The agriculture came on the scene like through the industrial revolution, you know, around that time. It wasn't before that that we were terribly, well, there were some indigenous people that were doing some cultivation of the land, I will say. But most of their real energy came from the fat and the meat of the animals. And I think I've been heavily influenced by the Weston Price Foundation. They're the ones that I do the Wise Traditions podcast for, um, but this makes sense to me. Um, can I tell the story of Dr. Price? I would love if you could tell the story of okay. Dr. Price, yes. I, I love telling it. So once upon a time, <laughs> I like to say it that way. It's kind of a fairy tale. You know. I know, it sounds like a fairy tale, it's crazy. So this dentist from Canada, you guys, um, was, seeing children in his clinic and he's like, oh my gosh, they seem so sick. They have all these cavities. They don't have good behavior. What's happening? Because he would get National Geographic magazine and he would see these people looking like really healthy with great posture and beautiful smiles. And he was like, what is up? These don't look like anything like the people I'm taking care of in the clinic. So he had two questions. One, do these people really exist? And two, if they do, what are they eating? How are they living so that we can learn some of these things? So in the 1930s, Dora, he took it upon himself to travel the world. And it wasn't easy in those days. Like it was like boat and train and, you know, however he could do it. But he traveled. And what he found was people were eating really different diets all over the world. In Alaska, it was like whale blubber and seal oil and fish, you know. And in Switzerland, it was like cheese and milk and sourdough bread. And he's like, oh, my gosh, all these differences. But he found certain things in common that were keeping all these isolated indigenous people groups hale and hearty and fertile in a way that the modern Western world was not. And some of the things they had in common were actually number one, they all had animal products in their diet. And actually, you might say, oh, confirmation bias, he was looking for that. No, he wasn't. He said it was his greatest disappointment that he didn't find a plant-based culture. So to me, this means that the people really were thriving on animal foods and we should do the same. And even though we've been told to set aside fat or 
do meatless Mondays, I would be very careful to look about what is the agenda on that and is it really helping me? Because I know vegetarians and former vegetarians and vegans who say, I was doing it for the planet at the expense of my own health. My own health started to deteriorate and that makes me so sad. So I'm telling you that good meat is possible both for the planet and for us. And a book I would recommend actually that just came out is called Sacred Cow by Diana Rogers and Rob Wolf. And I feel like they make a really good case for understanding this better. Um, and I just wanna address the who thing that I mentioned a minute ago too real quick. The World Health Organization said, oh, you know, processed meat is probably carcinogenic. Well, apparently when they categorize things, they don't really measure to what extent. I think air was even on the list of number one or number two as probably carcinogenic. Do you see what I mean? Mm -hmm. So it's a matter of gradation and also um, the type of meat. So the reason I said a moment ago, you want better meat, mm -hmm. um, that's what Diana Rogers and Rob Wolf call it. I'm talking about meat that is raised properly on pasture because I think it is healthier for the planet and for us. So please don't set it aside. I think our ancestors thrived on such things and there's so much more I can tell you, but let me just pause there. <laughs> yeah, I think that's such a, it's such a profound thing to consider. First, I was a, I was a vegetarian for 16 years and I was a vegan. I was like raw vegan. And then I was just a regular vegan for six plus years. And I had the same thing. I got really sick. I didn't know what to do. I was at a loss. And finally, after trying so many other things, I started eating meat. And for me, I was an ethical vegetarian slash vegan. So for me, it was a really challenging time because incorporating animals back into my diet felt very kind of going against my love of animals and the planet and the environment. But I did take the time to really learn and cultivate a really healthy approach to the animals I was eating. So I was really trying to get animals in my body that had been pasture raised organically that had been loved and you know snuggled with and everything the whole <laughs> nine yeah. years. um but it changed everything for me it, it gave me back just my brain basically i was so much more healthy in every single way so it really was a profound experience for me so i can totally attest to, to what you're saying and then you know with carcinogenic meats I mean, look at the way that we cook meat in our culture too. I mean, so much meat is overcooked, fried. Uh, yeah, it's just, it really has a lot to do with how you prepare it and where you get it from. So, yeah, totally. And there was something else I wanted to say about meat. Um, oh, so you felt a difference when you made that switch, right? I, oh, I was going to say about organ meat. So that might have been the thing that you said earlier that someone's like, what, huh? what? <laughs> because, okay, you're like, okay, I can have cheese and eggs and maybe some, you know, burger meat or whatever, but organ meats, eating organ meats is so nutrient dense. Like in other words, a lot of ancestral peoples would actually go for the organ meats first and leave the muscle meats for the dogs <laughs> because... It, they knew that they needed the more nutrient-dense food. If you look at a tiger in the wild, after it's you know attacked a zebra or something, it will go for the organ meats first and leave the muscle meats for whatever else. So you would be surprised and, and also probably 
benefit from trying organ meats now and then. I think the easiest way to do it personally for me is I started with liverwurst. <laughs> I love like, liverwurst. Right? It's tasty. Yeah, it's so Add a little good. mustard and onion, make a little sandwich of it, or I'll put it with my eggs in the morning or what have you. It's just, it's a nice intro into it because liver ha- can be an acquired taste, right? But this is another way of honoring the animal. And I want to say this to anyone who's listening, who's like, oh my gosh, yeah, I'm a vegetarian, vegan. I don't know if I can not do something that's good for the animals, but it's a way of saying, I respect you and every bit of you, and I'm not going to waste you. Because when we just take the chicken breast, for example, we're wasting a lot of the chicken. And so in my circles and these ancestral health circles, what we try to do is go ahead and use the bones for broth. Don't waste anything. There is a gift in there. And when you receive it, Take it thankfully, knowing that yes, an animal did give its life for you, um, and and it, it wasn't for naught. You know what I mean? And I have a friend who actually works on a farm, and he says before they process their chickens, he takes time to thank them. Mm-hmm. And I've also heard stories, and this might sound woo woo, but I'm just putting it out there, of farmers that have said to an animal, "Tomorrow is your day. You're going to be slaughtered." They just tell them this, and the animals wait expectantly apart from the rest of the cattle, you know, like they wait. I know it makes me kind of almost want to cry, but I think they are sentient beings and they understand they have a role on this earth and a time to give up their lives. And if you think, well, no, we should just let them live to old age. That isn't always pretty for animals. Let me just say predators will get them. They're going to get their problems too. Like, don't think, oh, we can just have all the chickens living happily ever after on some little chicken house. It doesn't work like that, you know? So I receive them with gratitude and I try to respect the animal by using the whole animal. I think that's beautiful. And I think you're absolutely right. In the wild, animals don't live to an old age very often because they're usually going to get eaten by a more powerful animal that's very hungry. And that needs to also nourish itself. And in nature and our ancestors too, they were really thinking about the whole entire circle of life. They weren't just thinking about what the animal needs, but what does everybody need in this circle, right, of life? Yes, yes. I love it that you've said it that way because I've interviewed two men on the Wise Traditions podcast, Alan Savory who is a wildlife biologist specialist um, from Zimbabwe, who's written some books called Holistic Management. And I think in an amazing world, that honeymoon world that you and I were describing, there would be a synergy. What I choose today is good for my health, it's good for the planet, it's good for the economy. For example, this is why I try to buy local from a local farm, because I'm helping that farmer, I'm eating, Uh, food that comes from the same kind of light information that I get, which is kind of a whole other thing I could get into. But anyway, um, and I'm, so I'm doing a lot of things that are of benefit. I'm not paying for produce that was shipped all the way from California to the East Coast. You see what I mean? So we want to live in in such a way that is, you know, holistic and yeah, honeymoon style, as we said. And the other person was Joel Salatin. He talks a lot about the beautiful choreography of nature. That, for example, yes, if we left a cow to its devices, I don't know how long it would live out in the wild, but the farmer cares for it and tends it and makes sure it has hay in the winter, you know, when there's not as much green grass and so forth. So we tend to it, we care for it, and then at the right time, we serve it to others so everyone can benefit from it. There's an exchange, you know? Yes. Yeah, that's a really important part of our life on earth is that we're always mm-hmm. in an exchange. So that's, the, there's balance. That's what we need. Yes. There's an energy exchange. And it reminds me of some book I was reading. I don't know. It might've been pieces of every step by some Buddhist monk guy. <laughs> and in it, he was just saying he was staring at a leaf 
And um, it was hanging on the tree and I was like, oh my gosh, it's going to fall. And then it fell. And then he was like, oh my gosh, that's not the end of the leaf. The leaf then goes on to turn into like food for the tree. Do you see what I mean? It comes up again. And so it's like such a beautiful cycle. Nothing is wasted in this world. So when you said energy exchange, I was actually thinking of you and me, Dora, and you and me and the listeners, like we're exchanging energy and then they're going to be getting energy from us. And then they're going to help someone else maybe feed their families differently. I mean, I don't even know, but it's really exciting to think that nothing is wasted. I love that. I think it's so powerful. So powerful to think of it like that. Yeah, mm-hmm. absolutely. So we talked a little bit about organ meats and animal products. Where do vegetables fit into all of this? That's a good question. You know, I, I know there's a big carnivore movement, um, but I think there are, there's a lot of benefit from diversifying our diet. And if you think about it, our ancestors feasted and then sometimes there was famine and sometimes they had berries and vegetables that they got. And sometimes there wasn't, you know what I mean? So I think there's a lot to eating seasonally as well. Mm -hmm. So I would say, um, listen to your body for intuition on these things, but I do, I try to eat seasonally and I try to include vegetables, but I lean carnivore. And so that's just how I go. But I think, as you know, because you study with IIN, it's about bio-individuality. So you might thrive more on a little bit more kale and greens, and that's great. But I feel my best when I'm eating those eggs and that cheese and that meat, and that's just how I roll. So um, vegetables do have a part, though. I wouldn't dismiss this, dismiss them entirely because they have you know, intangible nutrients that aren't found maybe in our animal products. But I have heard that everything that we really need that's essential is found in the animal products, Mm, which is why people, for example, they did a study of children, I think in some part of Africa, and they had some have some meat and some didn't. And those that had the meat function better on cognitive tests. Uh, They were brighter. They showed more leadership skills. Mm -hmm. And uh, this is a study that came out in one of our Wise Traditions journals. So um, I do think it's important to include animal products and vegetables if and when you can, and you're feeling that inclination. (laughs) I love that. And so when, if somebody wanted to kind of start really on this path of eating ancestrally, what would be maybe the top three things they could do to start? Oh, great question. I would start with getting your fat straight. So (laughs) um, I used to buy country crock. Now I know it's a crock. (laughs) (laughs) Chemicals. I'm like, what? I can't believe they still sell it instead of I can't believe it's not butter. I can't believe they sell that stuff. You know, it's just not the real deal. This is how my friend, I did have a friend that got into this before me a little bit. And she said, Hilda, you know, what is real is what's going to nourish best. And what man makes is generally you know, a pale imitation, let me just say. And so I was like, oh my gosh, she's right. So I started with butter. I just started including butter um, in our family meals and on the table instead of the other things. And my family loved it. My kids, no one was ever like, mom, why are you going healthy on us? They were like, this is amazing. They were so happy. Butter makes everything better. So definitely, I think most of us could stand to have actually more fat in our diet. So I would start with butter. And then when you're cooking things, go ahead. Don't be afraid to use lard. Lard got pushed aside because Crisco was just trying to get a foothold in that market, you know, but yeah, go for lard, tallow, coconut oil is fine. Olive oil is great, but generally not at high temperatures because then it has a, it has a low smoke point, I think. And so that can lead to some issues. So use olive oil on your salads and whatnot, but for cooking, I would go with lard, coconut oil, and tallow, and then butter too, if you want. So duck fat is amazing. Everything that's like a saturated fat, it's like really good. And we really need this for 
for good brain function too. So I would start with fats. And then I think I would try to find sources of, of good meat locally. And I will put in a plug for the Weston Price Foundation. If you go to westonaprice.org, they've got to find local foods or find foods and find a local chapter leader. Those are volunteers all around the world that will help you find sources of real food. Because some people are like, I'm in a food desert. I seriously don't know where I can get food. And so I would say contact that chapter leader for help. Sometimes you can get stuff shipped in. I know that's not optimal, but quality meat can go a long way. Like if you buy a whole chicken, for example, um, instead of just chicken breasts, you get more bang for your buck because you'll have your, let's say your roasted chicken one night, your chicken tacos the next night, and then chicken soup the next night. So you're stretching your dollars. So yeah, I would start with the fats, like I said, meats, and then third would be broth because broth, again, getting something from those bones, that collagen is just it's gold for the body. If you have joint pain, and I've met young people who are like, oh my gosh, I've got you know, arthritis. And I'm like, but you're 24. <laughs> Where is this coming from? I'm older and I don't have that. I don't understand. But it's because I think they're missing certain amino acids and collagen and things in their body that they could get if they only tried broth. So those are the three things I would start with. And we have, I think, some stuff on the Wise Traditions Diet on the westonaprice.org website too. But um, that would be a great place to start. And you're going to feel so satisfied. Oh, this is one more story I want to tell Dora. So I used to teach exercise classes all the time. Um, right now I'm kind of on a hiatus from that. But um, I would get into class after I'd had my breakfast of like, you know, some cereal with milk and a couple berries. And I would literally feel my blood sugar plummet. I would start to get shaky and I would have to grab a power bar or something, a cliff bar and just gnaw on that and be like, okay, I'm good. Let's go with the second half of the program. I thought, guess I'm just one of those people that has to graze all the time. When I changed my diet and for breakfast, I started having like eggs and full fat yogurt and granola and like more full fat stuff. I could soar till three o'clock in the afternoon. I couldn't believe it. I was like, where have you been all my life? So there's a sense of satiety. I can never pronounce that word, but of feeling satisfied and a sense of, of, of vitality and energy that you'll get from these really real whole foods that will nourish you well. Those are amazing tips. I love that. I think that's very concrete for people to take away and, and start with. I do have a question. So we usually do get the whole chicken. We make the bone broth, but we have the, the giblets. What would you do with that? Is there anything you can do with those, the, the organ meats from the chicken? Is there anything that you do with those? You know, I, I haven't gotten the giblets so much. My <laughs> farmer doesn't include this. Although okay. the farmer includes the long neck of the chicken. I'm okay. like, oh my gosh, um, which is great for the broth, like I was saying. But so I don't really know, actually. I have to ask a friend. But I do know that chicken livers are great, just sauteed in a little butter and garlic. Like I said, butter makes everything amazing. We'll start there. <laughs> you could just experiment with that. And the other thing is, if you're not a big organ meat person, which I get too, um, my farm that I get food from will mix in organ meats with the ground beef. So when you make meatloaf, when you make spaghetti sauce, you're like good to go without having to hassle with stuff that you're like, what the heck is it? <laughs> right. That's really so, great, actually. Just mix yeah. it into the ground meat. Yeah. So I would suggest looking around and yeah, maybe mixing some of those giblets into the ground meat. Exactly. Yourself. Um, and then another thing I wanted to ask you about. So being having a history of being like a raw vegan and then paleo and then keto. So none of these really have bread as a thing, but I've seen you make sourdough bread and you've actually talked about sourdough bread. So 
tell me about this magical bread and why I can now eat bread. <laughs> <laughs> it makes me so sad that people have to leave behind, you know, bread. And I think I understand why the paleo diet and others say get away from bread because they think it's inflammatory and a lot of people have gluten intolerances, right? Well, so sourdough bread is the coolest because it makes the bread easier to digest. So I'm not saying it will solve anything, but some people have found that if they, they eat genuine sourdough bread, they can tolerate it even if they thought before they couldn't tolerate any kind of bread. And here's why. It is actually one of the 11 principles of the Wise Traditions way of living that all grains, nuts, seeds, and legumes need to be properly prepared. In other words, if you just grab beans from a can and put them over rice, you might have some gas. You know, people have dis, you know intestinal issues or whatever. And they're like, oh, I guess that's just what beans do to you. Yes, if they're not properly prepared, but if you soak them overnight, mm -hmm. it will get rid of the anti-nutrients that are what's causing the discomfort in your digestive tract. So it's super, super interesting. And I don't need to get into the whole of it, but basically with sourdough bread, you're fermenting the bread, you're letting it um, pre-digest itself. So it gets rid of the anti-nutrients that make it difficult to have you assimilate the nutrition from it. And that's why it's like an amazing bread. And it tastes so good too. But a little caveat, like if you go to the store, like Whole Foods or whatever, and you'll see sourdough, okay, great. That's the bread Hilda was talking about. If it says vinegar on the ingredients, then it's not real sourdough. They just added the vinegar to make it taste like sourdough. You actually have to make sure that it doesn't have that, I mean, ask, you have to ask, was this really fermented? And they will tell you because if it's genuine sourdough, it won't have vinegar on the label. Interesting. Okay. That's very good to know. Good advice. Um, and then the other thing I wanted to touch on is we talked a little bit about this earlier, but with EMFs, mm -hmm. um, I mean, we live in a crazy sea of EMFs these days. Um, I live in LA. I'm actually moving out of LA this week, but um, we have cell phone towers and we're around our cell phones and computers and all of this stuff. And you mentioned earlier, putting your phone on airplane mode at night or perhaps putting it in another room. So can you tell us a little bit about why we kind of need to be considerate about our, um, EMF intake and how we can protect ourselves from those EMFs? Oh, it's such a good question, Dora. And I feel like so few people think about it because this is like what we live with. You know what I mean? Like, hey, let me text you. Let me call you, whatever. The phone is always at our side and we're just so dependent on our technology now. But it's a little bit like um, an invisible hazard, I guess I would say. And the thing is, as I might have mentioned earlier, as we talked about having an energy exchange, the human body is electric. And we are like batteries. So when we put our feet on the ground, you guys, like we literally get a negative charge from the earth. It's like an antioxidant. It's amazing. And when we get the sunlight, we're getting that positive energy as well. So that's why I was advocating getting in nature earlier and especially as early in the day as possible. The reason I'm mentioning these, the earth and the sun is because these are native electromagnetic sources of or fields, if you will. So these are the ones we want, right? But the radiation that comes from cell towers, Wi-Fi, 
our smart devices is called non-native electromagnetic frequencies. And it's like static messing up your radio station, your natural radio station, your natural energy. It's like static. And the problem is we don't always notice it at first. We might notice our eye twitching after we've been on the computer, or we might notice we have a headache. Um, you know, there'll be small signals like fatigue, um, maybe a buzziness or a tingling in our fingers or uh, different parts of our body sometimes. And we just, you know, shrug it off. But I'm telling you, it may be the non-native electromagnetic frequencies. I've interviewed enough experts to understand that we really are what they call a generation zapped. So what can we do about it? The first thing you can do is actually, I think there is a website called searchmyantenna.com or antennasearch.com. And you can see how many towers are in your neighborhood just to get an idea of what your invisible load is right now. Um, even a smart meter on your house could be causing some dizziness and headaches. So I'm just mentioning these things not to alarm people, but just so that they can be aware of what's going on. Now you can't mitigate everything. You can't change everything. I, I want to move out of the city. They've got 5G rolling out of my city. I'm like, oh my gosh, I don't want those microwaves. It's literally microwaves that they're rolling out these little antennas. Um, but what can I do? What is in my control? Mm -hmm. I turn my Wi-Fi off at night. Um, so we have it on a timer. So simple. And that's good for me too, because then at 10, I'm done. I'm not working anymore. You know what I mean? It really holds me accountable kind of. So we turn the Wi-Fi off at night. Um, my phone is on airplane mode after, you know, when most of the time, actually my family can't reach me, <laughs> but I'm like, it's okay because the last thing we want to do is put this like this to put the phone next to the ear is giving our brain so much, so many waves. So a third thing I will share that I do, apart from airplane mode, is I use AirTube earbuds. I'll show you really quick. I got these from my friend, the Primal Hacker. But what that means is, it's almost like a stethoscope. The signal isn't coming all the way up to my brain through to my ears and you know, like that. It is stopped at a certain point and then it's just the sound traveling through air. Mm -hmm. So AirTube earbuds are a really good way to go to avoid getting too much of that here. Don't wear the phone on your body. I mean, they're just some basics like that. Um, don't eat in a room with a router. You know, <laughs> my mother-in-law unfortunately has her router like right in her dining area. And I'm like, no. And I actually have bought a little bag that you can put on it. It does lessen the signal strength. You can just get one on Amazon or something. But what you're trying to do is lower the static on the natural function of your body. Um, it's something I think that's going to become, uh, people are going to become increasingly aware of over the years. I just finished reading this book that was fascinating called The Invisible Rainbow by Dr. Arthur Furstenberg. Oh, wow. And he talks about even electricity and how that changes things, you know? So there's a lot to pay attention to here, but that's why I say get out in nature as much as possible and control your devices around you as much as you can. I love that. And, and you did mention that the sun is really powerful. And then you said connecting to the earth. So does that mean putting your bare feet on the earth or touch? Yes. It? Yes. You do need to touch the earth. Um, it's hard in the winter. <laughs> um, so you can get a grounding strap for your shoes or what I do sometimes is I'll lean against a tree. We just really need that connection more than we know. There's a reason that the Japanese get prescribed forest bathing from time to time. I think we really need it more than we know. A, a friend of mine called it nature deficit disorder. <laughs> and yeah. it really will help us lower our cortisol levels, the fight or flight we were talking about earlier. It really will help us to be more mindful and aware. And um, 
It allows us to breathe. There's just, even seeing a picture of nature, they've done studies, can help lower your stress level, you know? So yeah, get out in nature, get barefoot if you can. If you can't, lean against a tree or get a grounding strap on your shoe so that even when you're walking, you can get some of that energy from the earth. And that actually helps fight cancer. You know, the antioxidants from the earth, that negative charge, you know, latches onto free radicals that could be cancer causing in your cells. So all these things work together. And I know we've covered a lot, Dora. <laughs> is there anything else you wanted to touch on? Yeah. So the last thing is just three questions that I ask all my guests and um, they're very simple, fun questions. Um, so the first one is what nourishes your soul? Oh my gosh. That's such a good question. I would say uh, my practice of gratitude. Every morning I get out a little notebook. I write down like three or four things that I'm thankful for. Super mundane, super mundane. It can be, you know, a walk with my dog. Um, I don't know, a tomato a neighbor gave me. It could be anything. And it, the more mundane, the better because it's specific and it helps me to keep that attitude of gratitude throughout my day. And then when I lay my head on the pillow, that as well. So that definitely nourishes my soul. Music as well. I'm in a neighborhood band and sometimes I'm not in the mood to sing and we have practice. I'm like, oh brother. And then I get there and I'm like, yes, because it just lifts me up. Mm -hmm. And then I think relationships, you know, this has been kind of an isolating time. And I think it's really important for us to connect in real life. So as much as possible, that community is, is very nourishing for our souls. Beautiful, beautiful. Um, so what is your wish for the world in the coming year? My wish for the world is that we would be positive and focused on what we can change for good. You know, when I was talking yesterday with Dr. Bruce Lipton, he was saying, it's like we're going through this transformation and we're caterpillars in a cocoon. We can either like fight about the cocoon, I hate this thing, or we can be about building the butterfly, you know? So that's my wish for the world that we would be building the butterfly. I love that analogy. That's such a beautiful analogy. I'll have to share that with, with people. This is going to be amazing to share with the world. What is the most powerful thing that people can do to contribute to a more beautiful world? Mm. Let me think about that. I think it's what we were saying, maybe even before we started rolling. It's love overall. It's love overall. So we need to come to a place where we can accept and love ourselves so that we can also love our neighbor. I think Jesus is the one that said, you know, to love God and love your neighbor as yourself. And notice that he said, as yourself, I can't love you unless I love myself. So there's a sense in which we need to get in tune with accepting ourselves, appreciating ourselves, and then doing the same for others. The more compassion we have for ourselves, the more we can extend that to others. I think if we put love over all, this world will be a better place. Beautiful. Beautiful. Thank you. Thank you so much, Hilda, for coming on the show. It was so amazing. So many powerful things that you shared. So I'm very grateful. Thank you again so much. Oh, Dora, it's been my pleasure. I hope we get to connect again. And thanks everybody for listening and watching.